it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and we've got a good show coming up. We're going to talk with, um, oh, let's see, who do we got coming up here in the uh, third hour of our three-hour tour? Oh, Aaron Barnhart. I almost forgot who we were going to be talking to. And and he is the, uh, and this is uh, actually an encore. He has, um, is the CEO and I think the founder, if, if not one of the founders, of um, Primetimer, which essentially is a TV guide for programs and streaming networks it's it's how to find shows to stream other than the suggestions made by the streaming platform you're on um and we're going to talk with uh with him that's coming up uh during the third hour in the middle the second hour we're going to talk with um Catherine Williams from National Geographic Kids they have a new book out we're going to talk about called Weird But True World 2023. But first, we're going to talk to um, the author of a new book. It's called The College Shrink, written by William Halen. And uh, Bill joins me by phone. Bill, good morning. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Much appreciated. Um, am I correct? This is your third novel? That is correct. And and it is in fact a novel. When I first saw the title, and I and I want to ask you what what exactly the the title alludes to, because at first I was thinking maybe it was uh, a book about declining college admissions, <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe it's a psychiatrist at a college, and he's talking about uh, you know stress and and mental health in young people, and then I realized that it was a novel. What what is implied by the by the title the college shrink? No, the college shrink is a college psychologist and therapist on a college campus, and uh, you know colleges are you know it, it's a story about college life that too many young people are now experiencing. It's not it's not their nirvana that parents think or hope it is oftentimes with all the academic and parental and social stress on the campus with alcohol and drugs and swipe left and violent sports, etc. So this dig you know, this digs into what's going on. It's a story about 
what goes on in campus through the eyes of a mental health professional. And and it's through through their eyes. Is this a story that's um, well? Where did the idea for this come from? Let's let's start there. Uh, that was a good question. Um, I wanted to write this book for a long, long time. Many years ago, I got involved with starting a school for underprivileged boys, and there's just a lot of enthusiastic people. And we're trying to figure it out. And I had a guy I knew a little bit who was the head of a private school. And I said, can I steal an hour of your time when I take you through our plan and tell us what you're missing? I looked at the plan, kind of hemmed and hawed, and they uh, said, you're missing a psychologist. I said, what are you talking about? He said, 275 of our 440 high school students have seen the psychologist, the school psychologist this year. And I was sort of just really taken aback by that. So then that time I've sort of been watching and studying and talking to psychologists. And when I found out it's, it's, it's even far more difficult on a college campus because you're not under your, the parents, you know, everyday radar anymore. And, and that was the beginning of it. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does, and 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 this is a whole new new area for me to to even think about and contemplate. Um, I'm I'm used to thinking that um, school counselors in high schools and and guidance counselors in colleges um, maybe sort of fulfill that role, aside from their their technical expertise advising about you know class schedules and, and other kinds of things that have to do with college life. Um, but there's but there's clearly a difference between, say, a guidance counselor and a psychologist or a mental health professional. Sure, the, the, you know, the psychologists are very well trained to deal with the law, but the problems that they saw... 25 years ago, uh, you know, and uh, I'm homesick, are uh, dramatically different now. 11% of college students at some point during their college career contemplate suicide. That was a big study from a couple years, years ago. That's really daunting. And they've got anxiety and depression and body image issues and, um, it's just, it's just really, and of course, substance abuse is a big issue. Um, so what the, the college therapists deal with now are just far, far, far more complex than they may have been when we were in college. In, in your research um, for doing this book, The College Shrink, hmm. Did you find how how college students in particular might be compelled to see or talk to a psychologist? Is there some way of motivating them to seek that help, or do they just have to sort of sign up on their own? Well, 
you know, healthcare information is private now. You can't write about it or put it on your application. And, and, and the same thing, you cannot reach out to a kid and say, hey, you might need help unless they first can go to see a physician or a, uh, or a psychologist. What's left for the students to make the decision. What's scary is that most students, for example, are thinking about, if you think about taking their lives, do not go see a therapist. They think it's going to, either they're too busy, which is crazy, or they, um, uh, they just think it's going to go away like a, you know, like the flu or a bad cold or something. So it's left to them to go see the therapist. And the problem with the therapist on campus, well, there's this enormous growing demand for their services. There has not been real growth on the number of therapists on the campus. And most of they are overworking and, frankly, underpaid for what they do. They see, you know, typically at least eight students a day, not to mention visits to the hospitals on weeknights and weekends. It's a tough job. Yeah, I would think. In this in this book, The College Shrink, um, is... Is there a genre that you would associate this book with? Most uh, most stories that are set on college campuses that I'm familiar with are uh, generally um, love stories or they're horror movies. And sometimes oh. it's hard to tell the difference. But If you if you sit in your campus and watch what's going on, it will open your eyes. And this is a story about college today, not 20 years ago. College in a world of omnipresent drugs and alcohol and you know swipe left technology and violent sports and this insatiable desire for diversity from my race, religion, country, whatever. And you put this all on a on this bucolic college campus, it doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. And that creates some sad stories. Well and and this uh this novel, The College Shrink Bill, revolves around a psychologist on a college campus. Um, but is this uh, um, tales from a college campus as seen through the eyes of the college shrink, or or does this particular psychologist get caught up in a particular story? Uh, great question. It's a uh, just like doctors, lawyers, accountants, teachers, policemen. There are 
really good ones and less good ones. But more importantly, they also have their own personal lives. And so here is an overworked, underpaid psychologist. Her life falls apart. And she, with a group of her kind of colorful clients, it really becomes unclear who the real therapist is by the end because they all need help. And they all try to help each other, but they're just not all the best at giving good advice, perhaps. And that's real life. If you go, I've talked to an awful lot of college therapists, and they will all say, there are some really good ones here, and there's some less good ones here. But colleges don't attract the best therapists because they don't pay as much as a private practice or a hospital. Is this modeled after a particular therapist that you maybe heard about or learned about and studied a little? It's modeled after, I've talked to, I should go back and count how many, I've talked to an awful lot of college therapists. The stories are eerily similar, but I'd say it's a, it's a, it's a combination of stories of a fair number of people. And in this in this particular uh, storyline, the the shrink it sounds like is ha- is having some mental issues and is turning to the people that typically turn to her for help for her to get help from them. That's right. That's right. Her, her husband, who's a high school teacher, has a inappropriate relationship with a student. And as you might guess, that her life just crashes as a result of that. And she has a hard time figuring out why that happened. And and um, and so she's not on her game anymore. And her students, her clients, recognize that. Her clients who have their their own issues, beginning with a a young woman who brings her boyfriend in to to see the therapist to break up because they don't really know each other because their relationship is based upon you know telephone connections, they texting, and a kid from the pile who is guilty from having some of a life of poverty and. So on and so forth. You have these colorful characters, but the therapist, this woman, is just not is not prepared any longer to really handle their issues the way she might have been before her husband had his little escapade. If that makes sense. It does. And Bill, I have to jump in here because I have a break coming up. But I'd like to talk to you some more about this uh, about this book and about your writing. Can you stick around for a few minutes? glad to. All right. My guest is uh, William Halen. Uh, He is the author of the new book, The College Shrink. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. (laughs) 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County. Where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods. And in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Babies come with lots of decisions. Cloth or disposable? Crib or bassinet? So when it comes to protection, go with the safest, most effective choice, vaccination. Get all the recommended vaccines for your baby by age two to protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my uh, conversation with uh, successful businessman and published author, uh, in fact, author of a uh, new novel called The College Shrink. His name is William Halen, and he joins me by phone. Bill, welcome back, and uh, thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No, I just listened to the problem was about talking with you is like having a cup of coffee at the <laughs> kitchen table. I think that's true. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad it's, it feels like relaxing. that. <laughs> I'm glad it feels like that. Hey, I was going to ask you um, about about this particular book, and 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 maybe you could uh, expand this question to uh, the other two novels that you've written. Um, but I'm always curious which comes first, the story or the characters. And in this particular case, it sounds like maybe you had the story sort of in mind and then cast it like a movie. Um, some people do it sort of the other way. They come up with a, a series of characters or a group of characters and then figure out what kinds of things would happen to them. But how did this process work for you with this book, and was it uh, the same for your other books? That's a great question, Tom, because it's funny. The um, When you're a kid and you have imaginary friends, your parents or teachers think you need help. When you're an adult, you have imaginary friends. They call you a writer. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's great. This, so each each book I've written, I start with a pretty pretty detailed outline of where I want to go, and in each instance, it's come out nowhere close to what those outlines <laughs> are. I've heard writers because say that before, Bill. I don't think you're alone yeah, in you're, that. I think I'm alone in most things. But these characters, they become your best friends. You get to, they develop, you get to know them, and just like a kid, they kind of, they, um, they drive the store. They drive, they make the decisions what's going on, because once you develop, you know, the, I think there's two types of stories. One is a plot-driven, a Grisham, a Baldacci, et cetera, where, it's not the character, it's what happens next. These are, this is very much a character-driven story. And if you develop what you think is a good character, they tell you which way to go. And some of the decisions that they make make you smile, and some you kind of go, holy crap, excuse my French. It's a, uh, but it's, it's definitely, yeah, the characters, they lead you along. I've had writers say that when they were writing, and you said you have a, a pretty detailed outline. It doesn't always go that way. I've had writers tell me that, you know, they're they're writing along and and that the characters actually, you refer to it as, as drive the story, but but very often the the story or the characters in the story end up sort of determining what's happening and what's going to happen next. Do you have that experience where you feel like the story was sort of writing itself or being written by the characters in it? There's no question about that. And that makes it easier to uh, easier to write. And so if you spend sort of eight or ten hours a day 
with a group of characters and you know them so well, you come to a to a event, a key point in the story, and there's sort of there's no question what the characters going to do. So they they lead you along, and they uh, you just try and put a few pretty words around it. You know, it's it's no different than starting a company. My past when you you write your business plan, but the business plan through the real company is never anything like the business plan because the people in the company kind of figure it out. This is the same way. Do you? Um... I I heard uh, someone ask this question um, to uh, Stephen King. It wasn't me, unfortunately. But the <laughs> the <laughs> the um, the question was: Do you write to a muse or do you write to a schedule? So is this where your horror story genres come from? Stephen King books? No, no, he's he's he hasn't been on my show. D- David Baldacci has been on the show several times. Oh, is that right? In fact, uh, during the last commercial, one of the voices you heard was David Baldacci saying, "You know, you you know the material, and that's impressive." That that comment that was David Baldacci. Oh, no kidding! Because he certainly is a prolific writer. Yeah, he is, and 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 in his own words, he likes it a lot better than lawyering. I can understand that. In in fact, I'll just share this with you since you brought him up. He he told the funniest story about being at a bookstore in Washington D.C. and uh, the president of the United States at that time was Barack Obama, and uh, President Obama and his daughters came into this bookstore and the bookstore manager of course was you know running around you know waiting on the president and showing him around the store and all that and Baldacci was there for some kind of a book event and and um, he walks the president over to David Baldacci and he says Mr. President this is David Baldacci and the president looks at Baldacci and says wow you're famous (laughs) <laughs> and Baldacci said it was it was kind of surreal standing there having that guy tell you you're famous. It was. <laughs> I looked on my Kindle, which I read on a month or so ago, and there was about twenty or twenty-five Baldacci books on it. I'm going, huh? Where'd this come from? Well, my kids come home, they steal my Kindle, they buy a Baldacci book and read it. So they've never read any of my books. Oh well, they they've got to read your books. You should. <laughs> you, should you should block their access. And make it make it contingent. You know, they get a Baldacci <laughs> book for every one of yours they read. Um, but but getting back to the uh, the the question that was posed to Stephen King, it. it his answer, which I thought was was really fun, was he said, "I, you know, the question was, do you write to the muse or do you write to a schedule? He says, I always write to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. And, and I wanted to turn that around because some writers have a very rigid schedule. They, they're they're going to write from 
eight or nine o'clock in the morning till noon or one o'clock and and then they have lunch and and do other things maybe associated to their book research or you know uh, business calls or whatever um but that they they have a certain schedule that they write to and then there are some who just write and write and write until they can't write anymore um how does it work for you so I have, I guess I have a schedule, whatever. I, I write from about 8.30 till 5 or 6 each day with for a break, a break for the gym. And it's not because I plan the schedule or I'm disciplined. It's the, once you get in the book and you become friends with your characters, you really want to see what happens the next day <laughs> and where they take you. And a, uh, but there's a woman in the store named, you know, named Jelly, who I think we all have crushes on because she's so unique in her and how she looks at life. And this is the second book she has been in. And every time I see what Jelly does, even though I wrote it, it makes me laugh because I don't really feel like I came up with the, the story. She did. Well, I, I can I can write all day long, and be happy as can be. How long does it take you to to produce a book? Uh, it takes about six months to write it, and then it takes a long time to go through the rest of it, which is editing, get a cover, get book reviews from professional organizations, that sort of thing. Um, but to the first draft, which is the core of the book, it's about six months. Once the, the book is out, and, and, and I guess I'll just um, throw it out this way. Writing is a, a very solitary thing. It's, it's something very often that's done you know, I don't. I don't want to point the paint the picture of, you know, the quintessential you know American author uh, somewhere in the Northeast in a cabin. You know, goes in for six months and comes out with the great American novel. But it is kind of a solitary thing, the process of writing, um, however or wherever you do it. Um, but. There's a lot to getting a book out there and getting it read. Do you enjoy the interaction with people, book signings and interviews like this one, you know, the the business part of um, being a writer? Well, with all due respect, Tom, I absolutely do not. <laughs> I take it out and it's, I, I don't enjoy the process. Some writers do writer. and some writers don't, Bill. That's and that's why, that's why I'm asking because it's a little tough sometimes for somebody who's spent, you know, six months in their own little bubble and then they have to go out and interact with people. That's a little tough for some writers. Well, think about this. So I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I spent the first, you know, couple of decades of my life building companies, which means you're always out 
selling, whether people come work for your companies to buy your product, whatever it might be. But this is, and, and, and the company's your baby, but the books are a very different baby. And Ethereum, you just want to get back to writing. Uh, and I'm very much that, that way. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy as can be just tapping out the next page, the next chapter, whatever. It's a, it's a great life. Is there any connection between this book, The College Shrink, and your two previous novels? They're not, um, they're, they're not connected in any way, are they? They're all standalone books? Well, they're, uh, yes and no. The first book was called I'm Will, which is about a, a teenage boy whose parents sent him to a private high school because they they thought he was um, not living up to his potential. That was, you know, each book's about a person coming to a new chapter of life and that they're not prepared for. Will ends up with a crush on this girl in his class who tells him she's a lesbian. He's never quite sure. That's a girl named Jelly. Jelly is now in college. And she, if you can follow it, and she is a client of the college therapist. So there is a connection between the first book and the third book, if you follow that. Yeah. The second book is about, totally different, it's about a woman in midlife, kids are gone off and, and launched, husband dumps her for somebody else. And so she, on social media, creates a, a group of people and, and who made a bar every week, each of whom is facing a different challenge in their life, and they become therapists for each other. You know, somebody's contemplating mortality, somebody who is, um, had some tough things happen in his youth and, and can't figure life out, etc. So it's, they're each are standalone, but the first and the third, we have the connections. Well, that's interesting. The first book sort of um, revolves around high school or or that that age group. The the third book is yeah. about college, um, or or at least has that. I, I, what I'm what I'm getting to or getting at is is location an important part of the stories you've told in your three novels? Physical location? Location. Um, uh, you know, in some yeah, yeah. in some books, it's, a, it's almost a character in and of itself. Um, these are not books where there's a lot of traveler moving around. They're central in very single location. Um, I think, yeah, I think location is important for, for the setting because if you, you know, and you're in an elite private school, prep school or elite college, um, that does set the tone for what's to come. But yeah, I think location is pretty important. And, you know, education seems to be um, at least present in in 
your first and third novels. Yeah. Um, is is there is there something about that that you think is significant to um, determining the kind of story that a person is going to live? I think I think you hit the nail on the head, Tom. You got an A plus. Um, I grew I grew up in a very um, kind of other side of the tracks. Not a very well off family. Got into a great college. Um, used to hitchhike two and a half hours back and forth there. Um, but I learned from going to kind of a well-off college, and I was convinced I didn't want to ever be poor again. And so I really worked hard and set my sights on something. I ended up living in these, you know, picture postcard towns with the never-ending unspoken competition between parents for their kids to be the best, their kids to be succeed, succeed. And I kind of realized after a while, I was doing the same thing. I realized after a while, what a terrible life to live. This is the wrong way to do it. And, uh, and learned that I was not a great husband or father or friend. I needed to change that. And that's the education thing because when you go to an elite school, you have expectations about where you're going to end up. So my world was, you know, surrounded by investment bankers and hedge fund guys and consultants and corporate lawyers and pretty pretty shallow, actually. Hope they're not listening to us. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're a good learning experience for me. But it's what education is, is, I believe, the core to success. And that's why I got involved in starting a school in Worcester, Massachusetts, for underprivileged boys, because it's all about education in my mind. What's, what's next for you, Bill? Do you have another uh, book on the horizon? I've actually written the first draft of another book. Uh, already called Complicated Families. And it's about a, you know, several generations of families and told by the youngest kid who is actually tells the story from prison where he is as a as a 17-year-old boy. Um, so that's, you know, the first draft is completed. And once I get through some of the marketing of the college shrink, I'll go to polishing that one up. As I mentioned, I do write a lot of time. Where do you uh, where do you come up with uh, the stories in this in this particular one? You know what what has you putting a seventeen year old behind bars? Uh, that one's more cathartic. That is a very personal story, and so the first one that I've ever written that has. It has my family life very much a part of it, um, and so that was a that was a more difficult one to write. That's one way I started that book before I started the college shrink, and that's the one I picked up and put down probably four or five times, maybe more than that. It was it was hard. Well, hard, I just but I'm glad I, wrote it. I, I I just wonder some people. 
tell stories from their own experiences, but but then some are inspired by something they they read in a in a newspaper or um, pick up you know in conversation with people. Um, they they get an idea. Do you find yourself um, being flooded with ideas uh, from from different aspects of your life? Uh, I do. I actually have a whole folder on where I'll scribble down an idea or a story. <laughs> and I'll go back to yours later and say, what the hell was I thinking? I don't know what this is about. But it's all, it's all about just watching people. If you write a story about kids in high school, like my first book, I'm Will, was you learn from sitting in the bleachers of a game going to the school play, sitting at the meeting with all the parents and the heads of school. You just watch, you don't necessarily listen. You just watch people and how they react. You know, how often have we all seen the parents, the dad seething at the glitches of a basketball game because the kid's not playing, right? It's wrong, it's sad, but the dad is picked he wants his kids to be captain and go to a good college. Uh, but, you know, stories are people. People have lots of stories. And then the, the most recent one, I just find decided to turn a camera on my own family. Well, my guest is William Halen. He is the author of uh, the new book. It's uh, called The College Shrink. And it's been described as poignant and thought-provoking. And uh, it, it seeks to unravel the threads that connect our lives. Um, let me ask you this, Bill, because we're, we're just about out of time. We have just a little over a minute and a half left. But I always um, give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? Sure, thanks, sir. WDHalen.com. Well, that's easy. You hear about me, you hear about all the books, read some, read some reviews that were written by Kirkus and Ford Reviews, etc. And, and you learn a little bit about it. And if you like it, hopefully you read the book. Well, well, Bill, I want to thank you for spending this time with me and the listeners and uh, sharing some information about your new book and about you and the writing process. The book is uh, The College Shrink. The author is William Halen. Bill, thank you so much and keep up the good work. Tom, thank you. This was incredibly enjoyable. Uh, You have a wonderful show. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Take care. Goodbye. Again, that was uh, William Halen. The book is The College Shrink. And if you're listening to us on WFOV, our voice is Radio 92.1 FM, Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. And we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming the show at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's lots more of the Tom Sumner program yet to go. So hope you'll, uh, hope you'll stay with us.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Flipflip Technology, Mark Community College, it's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology.
this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There's a book written called Psychological Studies of Famous Americans, and it examines from a psychological viewpoint uh, Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant and uh, Walt Whitman, people like this, and tries to explain in terms of psychology why these people acted the way they did, that they really did not act from, uh, from valor or anything else, that there were deep psychological problems these people had, and that's why they reacted the way they did. One person they skipped that I thought would be a great subject for analysis, if they had analysis when he was around, was uh, Ben Franklin. I think he... I think this man is ripe for analysis. So this is uh, Ben's analyst, and he's in a typical analyst's office. He has a, a, a desk and a chair and a couch and an intercom. Yeah, uh, who, who, uh, who is it, Murray? Ben, ben Franklin. Um, can, I, uh, can I duck him, Murray? He's, he's standing right there in the office. He's, he's dripping all over the rugs. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, send him in, Mary. Uh, uh, Mary, how, how's he doing on his account? Uh, th three months behind, huh? Yeah, he's, he's thrifty, all right, Mary. All right, send him in, send him in. Well, hi, hi there, Ben. How are you today? Good. Ben, you want to you lie down on the couch there? Uh, ben, you want to put some papers down on the couch so <laughs> don't uh, don't get the couch all wet. Well, I'd, I'd say from the looks of our clothes, we've been uh, flying the kite again in the rainstorm, right, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben. Um, we copied down our dreams, did we? Mm -hmm. you, you didn't have to. It's the same one. You're, you're walking down the street, and you, you find a half dollar, and your face is on it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick, Ben, you know that? <laughs> Washington has the same dream, only he sees his face on paper. Huh? You want to you want to give George my number, uh, Ben? <laughs> okay, Ben. Let's let's see if we can't get to the bottom of this kite fixation thing. Um, the uh, the lightning knocked you down again, uh, did it, Ben? <laughs> you're you're not surprised by that, though, are you? I mean, you you expect it to knock you down, don't you? <laughs> you know, Ben. Uh, you being a founding father and all, you know, it, uh, it doesn't exactly inspire confidence in people to see a, you know, a grown man flying a kite, you know. <laughs> it's too bad it, it, it isn't something a little more private, you know, you could, you could do in the privacy of your own room, like uh, spinning a top, you know, <laughs> some, something like that. You ever, ever thought of spinning a top, Ben? Wouldn't, wouldn't knock you down. Hmm? <laughs> that's, that's important to you, is it, Ben? The, mm -hmm? Okay, let, let me see if I have the picture now, Ben. Uh, <clears throat> you're flying your kite, all right, Ben? 
And you're letting out the string. Everything's the same as usual. There's, there's something different this time. You, you use strips of cloth for the tail. Red, white, and blue strips of cloth. <laughs> where'd, uh, where'd you get the red, white, and blue strips of cloth, Ben? From, from Betsy Ross. She, she's got plenty of it. She, she's up to wearing it, Ben? Now, uh, Be uh, Betsy gave you the cloth, did she, Ben? You, you took the cloth. A, a penny saved is a penny earned. Why, uh, why didn't you ask uh, Betsy for the cloth, Ben? She thinks you're a sissy because you wear bows on your shoes. <laughs> and, and she chased you down the street yelling, you're not thrifty, you're cheap. <laughs> she, uh, she could have something there, Ben. Not, nothing, nothing, Ben. Mm -hmm. Why, uh, why didn't you uh, pay Betsy uh, for, for the cloth, Ben? Keep what is dear to you if, if you would prosper. Mm. Ben, I, I think we can get a lot more done if, if you drop the little homilies after, after each, uh, <laughs> each statement. Ben, we don't seem to be getting anywhere with, it, with a kite thing. Uh, let's switch to something else. How, how are the inventions uh, coming along, Ben? You, you got lucky this morning. You, you don't have to wear your bifocals anymore. The, the lightning fused your glasses to your eyeballs. <laughs> what, uh, what are you going to call them, Ben? Con contact lenses. Ben, I, I, uh, I sure would like to be more optimistic about your condition, but um, <laughs> afraid I'm going to have to recommend a shock treatment, Ben. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to do it because there are always uh, undesirable side effects. Well, what, what we do, Ben, is uh, we stick you inside the Liberty Bell and, uh, and we, <clears throat> we uh, ring it a couple times, you know. Well, uh, the problem is you, you, you quiver for about two or three years, you see. <laughs> ben, I'm afraid our time is almost up. We'll see you uh, next, next Thursday then. Right. Goodbye, Ben. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs> 